I want you to open your Bible with me to the book of Genesis chapter 15. Genesis chapter 15, beginning at verse 5, and when you get there, say amen. Five of you are there. Give it to another, another moment. How many enjoyed uh, Carl and Jennifer Hargistam last weekend? <laughs> Wonderful. Did you hear they were here? They were here last Sunday. Yeah, we I I, I uh, he asked me about you over over lunch. You were out of town. Yeah, but it was wonderful to have the Hargis stamps with us. They're always reminding us of our assignment and pointing our focusing us on supernatural harvest. Uh, Genesis chapter fifteen, uh, beginning at verse five. He took him outside and said, Look up at the heavens and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. Abram believed the Lord, and he credited it to him as righteousness. He also said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to take possession of it. But Abram said, O sovereign Lord, how can I know that I will gain possession of it? So the Lord said to him, Bring me a heifer, a goat, and a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. Let's pray. Father, I pray today in the name of the Lord Jesus that you would speak and that we would listen and that we would believe and that we would obey. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So leading up to this passage, you look back in, in uh, Genesis chapter 13 and 14, you see Abraham walking as a great man of faith. And Abram, he's known as a man of faith. He's known as the father of faith to all who believe. You see him walking in such confidence. The one thing that Abram believed in was the promise, it was the blessing. And the first thing God gave him was blessing. And he was firmly established in his faith and blessing. I mean, he just understood, you know... When God blesses you, but you don't know you're blessed, you're afraid of losing the blessing. You know what I'm talking about? You, have you ever been afraid that you were going to make the wrong decision and that God was just going to remove His blessing off of your life? Or have you ever been afraid when something went wrong that, that, oh no, maybe God has removed His blessing from my life because I did something wrong. Maybe I've sinned against Him. Maybe I've messed up. Well, Abraham, had he, he moved far beyond that place uh, early on in his journey with the Lord. You get to Genesis chapter 13 and and Abram and Lot, they're living in this plain, and it's too small for the two of them to dwell together. And so Abram takes Lot aside and says, okay, I'll t All right, I'll tell you what. Uh, you tell me which way you want to go, and I'll go the other way. If you go to the right, me and the blessing will go to the left. If you go to the left, me and the blessing will go to the right. It don't matter where I go. It doesn't matter what decision I make. The blessing is going with me. You say, well, I, I wonder if, it, if maybe this is the wrong job. I'm afraid if I take this job, it might not be the wrong job. No, 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 no. Me and the blessing are going to go into this job if I take it. And if I choose this job, me and the blessing are going to go over here. And if I take this house, me and the blessing are going to go into this house. Abraham came to the point where he realized that no matter where he went or what he did, the blessing was going with him. He was fully confident in it. 
So Lot, which way you want to go? I'm going the other way, and the blessing's coming with me either way. So you can take the land that looks the best. Let me tell you the land that looks the best. Wherever the blessing goes, that's the best land. And since the blessing's going with me, I'll go over here into the barren wasteland. It's going to blossom and bloom because I'm bringing the blessing into it. So he has faith for the blessing. And then in chapter 14, you see he's got faith for victory. What happens in chapter 14 is that Lot, his nephew, had moved over near Sodom, the city of Sodom, and the five kings had five kings had joined their forces and come and attacked Sodom, and they carried Lot and all of his family and all of his possessions off. And the report comes to Abraham, your nephew Lot and all of his possessions have been carried off by the five kings. And Abram says, no problem, I got faith for this. And he summons the 318 trained men that were in his household. He says, hey guys, we're going to war. Who are we going to war against? Five kings and their armies. 300 of us? No problem, we got faith for this. This isn't even a problem. Just grab your swords and spears and let's go. And they grabbed their swords and their spears and their shields, and they went to, to war. And Abram was just gangster-like when it came to this. I mean, you know, you know, I mean, they went out on the battlefield. They faced off five kings and their armies. They decimated those armies, and he brought back Lot and his family members and his possessions, and they came back home. I mean, it was, it was like there was no question. He had faith for that. He had confidence for that. He knew that it was under his authority. He knew that it was in the parameters of his anointing. He knew that he was anointed for victory and that it didn't matter how big the army was, no army could stand before him. So he knew he was anointed for blessing and for victory. And then he comes back and the king of Salem, Melchizedek, comes down and meets him in the valley. And Melchizedek brings bread and brings wine. It's a typology of Jesus Christ. And he gives him a tithe. And then he has bread and wine with Melchizedek in the valley after winning this great battle. Then the Lord comes to him. Now, here's the problem. Abram had faith for victory, and he had faith for blessing, but he didn't yet have faith for fruitfulness. So the Lord comes to him at the beginning of chapter 15 and says, Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield and your very great reward. And Abram says, Well, Lord, what can you give me since I have no son? I've got faith for victory, but I don't have faith for fruitfulness. I've got faith for blessing, but I don't have faith for fruitfulness. I've got a lot of slaves, but I don't have any sons. I, I've got... I've got administration. I've got that down. I can administrate, but I can't reproduce. I can organize things, but I can't reproduce anything. I'm sterile. What can you give me since I have no son? And, God, and he says, my slave, Eliezer of Damascus, is going to inherit my entire estate when I die. And God says, no, 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 no. Your slave will not inherit your property, but a son that comes from your own body will be your heir. And Abraham said, really? God said, yeah. He said, cool, I believe it. And God said, good, you're righteous. You see how easy that was? There are certain things that God speaks to you about, and he just says, I'm getting ready to give you a son. And you go, cool, I believe it. There are certain things that you're just able to believe for immediately. God says, I'm going to do this. And you go, great, I got it. I believe it. God said it. I believed it, and it's done. That's the end of it, right? There are certain things that you don't need any extra special help believing for. And by the way, the moment God says it and you believe it, it's already done. You have already been moved out of the last season and into the next season. Why? Because faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. So that the moment I come to faith for something that God has spoken over my life, at that very moment I've got the substance and the evidence of it, it's already done. And that's why God changed his name. Okay, now your name's Abraham. Abram, Abram means exalted father. That was embarrassing enough when you ain't got no kids. 
But then God says, now you've received the promise. Your sons are like the sands of the sea, like the stars of the sky. So I'm changing your name to Abraham. Abraham, father of many nations. In the natural, you ain't got no kids, but you believe what I said and you're righteous. And that's enough to make you the father of many nations. You're already the father of many nations. Why? Because you believed. Because you believed. Because you believe. Make no mistake, your reality is not determined by your situation. It's determined by your faith. So Abraham enters into a new season because God spoke it and he believed it and God said, you're righteous. By the way, righteousness is about being in right relationships. You know, we've understood righteousness is about a, a group of actions. Righteousness doesn't have anything to do with your actions. It has everything to do with your relationships. All Abraham did was believe and God said, you're righteous. Meaning you have now entered into a right relationship with me. That's why the scripture says, without faith it's impossible to please God. If you don't believe what he says, you're not in a right relationship with him. And so God is desperate to move us into a place of right relationship with Him. But in order to get us there, He has to teach us how to believe. Now here's the, here's the, 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 the problem. God says, I'm glad that you believe for reproduction and for fruitfulness. I've given you this promise that you're going to have a son, and your, your sons are going to be like the sands of the sea and the stars of the sky. Literally, you're going to be the father of many nations. Through you, all the nations of the world will be blessed. You're not just going to have one son. You're going to have a multitude of sons. And Abraham was ready to believe that. Cool. I believe it. Sarah, let's go. God says, but I've got to give you a further promise. It's good that you've entered into this season where you're believing for fruitfulness, but that's not enough. Because if you believe for fruitfulness and reproduction, but not for the land that I'm giving you, then you're just going to have a bunch of wayward, uh, 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 you know, vagabond kids who live on the street, don't know their land, don't know their inheritance, don't know that I'm not only giving you sons, but I've given you a place to put them. I've not only made you a father, but I've given you a home. He says, Abraham, I've brought you to this land to give it to you as your possession. Look around you. Look at all of this land. You're living here as a stranger now, but the reason I brought you here is because I'm going to give you all of this land as your possession. And Abram says, how will I know that I'll possess it? Translation, I was able to believe for the last promise, but I'm having trouble with this next one. When you said I'm going to have some kids, I can believe that. But now you're telling me I'm going to possess this entire land. Do you know there are promises that God wants to give you that you just don't have the capacity to believe for right now? Stuff that God has been speaking to you, that in your heart you've been saying, Lord, I just don't believe it. And I'm here to tell you today that actually that's okay. See, when we talk about faith, a lot of times it, it brings an accusation. The, 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 the accusation of the enemy jumps on messages about faith because as soon as somebody starts talking about faith, every single one of us in here can locate places of unbelief in our lives. And the devil jumps on it and says, See, because you don't believe, God's not going to do nothing in your life. He's not going to break through. He can't bring you the blessing that he wants to bring you because you're so full of unbelief and doubt. And that unbelief is a slap in the face of God. You know what? Babies slap people. But good parents don't throw out babies for slapping people. They simply spank their hand and teach them how not to slap folks. 
Unbelief is a slap in the face of God, yes, but I'm here to tell you that God is able to take you by the hand and teach you how not to slap Him in the face. Are you hearing me today? This message does not mean go home and figure out how to believe. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 says you were saved by grace through faith and that not of yourselves. Meaning faith doesn't come from you. It's not your decision. You can't suddenly just have faith because you want it. You've got to get it from God. God is the author of your faith. He's the author and finisher of your faith. Now the scripture says that he has dealt to us each a measure of faith. And how does he do that? the word because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God meaning that when the word of God comes along with the delivery and proclamation of the word of God comes a supernatural endowment of faith that the spirit of God gives to everyone here each and every one of you as you're listening to me right now there's along with the words that are coming out of my mouth is a supernatural endowment of faith that if you'd open your heart to receive it the Holy Spirit will give you the power to believe what I'm saying and if you don't mix your hearing with that believing, then the word will be completely unprofitable to you. But if you mix your hearing with believing, then the word will bear fruit in your life, some 30, some 60, and some 100 fold. So Abram says, Lord, I've heard, but I don't believe it. He was honest with God about it. God, I just don't believe that. How can I believe it? Give me some proof. He asked God for proof. Now, God could have killed him right there. Lord, how will I know that I'll possess it? How will you know? Hello? I'm God! I'm God. It's because I told you. I mean, when I said, let there be light, there was light. Hello? It's a good thing Abram wasn't talking to an angel. You know, angels are like bad babysitters. They ain't got no patience. You remember when the angel Gabriel was talking to, 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 uh, to Zechariah? He says, uh... You're going to have a son. He says, how will I know that these words that you're speaking to me are true? Okay, listen, my name is Gabriel. I, I, I dwell in the presence of God. I, I came here to bring you this promise, but since you don't believe it, you're not going to talk until the baby's born. That's how you'll know it. <laughs> Zechariah came out of the temple and for nine months couldn't say a word. The next word that came out of his mouth was, his name is John. And probably the next one was, and don't ever doubt an angel. <laughs> Trust me, just say okay. But Abram's talking to God, and he says, how will I know it? How will I know it? And God says, ah, I see. The promise isn't enough for you at this moment. You have to be brought into a place of faith for the promise before I can bring the promise to pass in your life. God is desperate to get you to believe, but God also takes personal responsibility for your believing. He says, Abram, that's okay. I'm going to take you to a place where you believe. I know you believe for faithfulness. I'm, you believe for fruitfulness, and it's done. But you don't yet believe for the land that I'm giving you, and so I'm going to take you to a place where you begin to believe for that land that I'm giving you. Let me, let me talk about that land for a second before I talk about that process. What is the land? that God is taking you into. You know, my daughter went through a very tough time when we lost our condo in early June, beginning of June, we lost our condo. And we stayed with my wife's brother and his wife, and, and, uh, and uh, they were so gracious to us. They have this, this two-story home, and they gave us the bottom story, the bottom level. Two bedrooms, 
a nice bathroom, and a family room. I mean, it was bigger than our condo. And they were so gracious to us for those five weeks, they just treated us like honored guests, as if we were the president of the United States. I mean, they were so loving and caring and receiving. We never felt, you know when you stay with somebody, but you know that they don't want you there? (laughs) You can just feel it in your spirit. You know, and, and you're smiling, and everybody's smiling, and they, they might even say, we're so happy you're here. But inside you're thinking, no, you're not. <laughs> I just need to get up out of here as soon as I can, because I know you are counting the days till I leave. But it was nothing like that with them. They were just so thank. They were happy we were there. They showed us so much love. But you know what? As, as much love as they showed us, and as warm and as, as, as welcoming as it was, our daughter knew we weren't home. In other words, she knew she couldn't get settled because she knew this ain't my place. This isn't my space. And so she lived with this sense of insecurity, with this fear. She would wake up in the middle of the night and, and she couldn't sleep all night long. And, 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 and she just, there was just this insecurity about her and this sense that this is not my place. You know, when you live in a place that you know is not your place, you're insecure all the time. I don't know if this is my calling. I don't know if this is my destiny. I don't know if this is my destination. I don't know if God called me to do this or that. And if you don't know what that is, and you're not sure what that land and that territory is, you're nervous all the time. But the moment we moved into our new home, and we set up her room, that was one of the first things we did, was set up her room with her bed and her dresser and her, put her clothes in her closet and her toys and, and you know, her changing table and set up her little iPod with the worship music playing and her little TV where she could watch her little videos and, and you know, her stuff. And she came in and saw her room and there was this joy and this excitement. It's like, this is my domain. Something in her was settled that said, I'm home now. I know this is my place. And she goes into her room and she plays with her toys and she climbs up in her little bed and lays down. And then she jumps down and turns on her little TV and watches her little videos and listens to her music and hugs her teddy bear. She knows it's her place and she sleeps in her room every night because she knows that she's been settled in her territory. God says, Abram, I need you and your descendants to know the land that I'm giving you, to know it, to know this is my place, this is my land, this is my destiny, this is my calling, this is my anointing. You need to know where your boundary lines have fallen. And know that they've fallen in pleasant places. You remember the prophet Elijah in, in, uh, in, uh, in uh, 2 Kings chapter 5 when Naaman, uh, the commander of the army of Aram, his master, the king of Aram, sent him to Israel because he heard there was a prophet there who could heal him of his leprosy. And the king of Israel got the letter from the king of Aram that said, with this letter I'm sending my servant Naaman to you that you may heal him of his leprosy. And he tore his robes. He said, am I God that I can heal and, and make alive? In other words, this isn't under the realm of my authority. This exceeds my pay grade. And Elijah heard that the king had torn his robes, and he sent a letter to the king saying, Why did you tear your robes? Send him to me, and he'll know there's a prophet in Israel. Do you hear how much confidence the prophet has? Just send him to my house. You want to see the power of God move? Come see me. 
He knew the land and the territory that God had given him authority over. He knew this is under my authority. Listen, there are certain things that I know are under, are under my authority, and I'm not even tripping. You can, ask me, you can ask me to preach in a moment's notice in the largest church in America or in the world. I'm not tripping. I know that's under my authority. I know that's the territory that God's called me to occupy it, and I know how to occupy that territory. My question is, what's under your authority? What is your territory? What land has God called you to occupy? You've got to know your territory. You've got to know where your boundary lines have fallen. You've got to know it. And then there's no insecurity. There's no fear. Too many believers feel like you've grown up and you live in a precarious place. God wants to give you a solid place. And so God says, Abram, I'm desperate for you to begin to believe this promise. It's great that you believe for reproduction, but now you've got to believe for a home for them kids. I mean, can you imagine a, a, a man and wife having a whole bunch of kids but no home? And they believe for kids. God's made us fruitful. But you live on the street. But God's given us more kids. You would say, stop having kids till you get a home. Hello? Amen. So God says, Abram, I'll tell you what you need. I'll tell you what's going to end all argument. And what's going to bring you to a place where you're going to believe for it and never doubt it again, I've got to take you into a covenant. You and I've got to make covenant. Once we've made covenant, it's a done deal. Because it's one thing for me to give you a promise, but it's another thing for me to make a covenant with you. Once I've made a covenant, now you know it's done. So Abram, this is what I need you to do. I need you to go into your own flocks and herds and bring a heifer, a goat, a ram, a pigeon, and a dove, and make some sacrifices. Abram, I'm taking you into a season of sacrifice. The first step that God takes you to when he's trying to convince you of the veracity of his promise is he takes you to the place of sacrifice. You've got to make some sacrifice. You've got to cut some stuff, Abram. You've got to cut some stuff up. You've got to make some sacrifice. And Abram says, okay, great, I know how to do this. And he goes and he gets the heifer and he brings it out and he cuts it in half and he lays out the pieces. I mean, he's sharpening his sword or his machete, whatever it is again, and he brings over that goat, cuts it in half, lays the pieces out, and then he sharpens his sword. Blood is everywhere. Guts are everywhere. But he grabs that ram and cuts it in half and he's laying the pieces. He's chopping stuff. He's cutting stuff. He's sawing stuff in half. He's doing, I mean, it's hard work. You ever tried to cut a heifer in half? It's not easy work. Your kitchen knives won't do it. He probably had all kind of saws. I mean, you got to saw through bone. Sacrifice is not easy stuff. You got it. First of all, you got to kill a living thing in order to make a sacrifice. Second of all, you got to cut through flesh and bone. I mean, Abraham is sawing stuff and blood and guts are flying everywhere. And that thing is screaming under his knife and he's got to hold it down and saw and saw and saw. And it's kicking and screaming to sacrifice. You got to hold that thing down and saw it. Sacrifice does not happen naturally. Well, I think if I go to church for long enough, I'll have offered everything to the Lord. I know I belong to Jesus Christ. Why? Because I go to church. <laughs> Can I just uh, bust some bubbles? 
Going to church is not a sacrifice. So often when we talk about what we've sacrificed to the Lord, it's always something that's cost us nothing. I sacrificed the time to come into the house of God. God says, well, thank you very much. You came to the party that I threw in your honor. And you think you did something. Thank you. I just prepared this lavish meal and you made the sacrifice to come sit at the table and eat. Now listen, if I invite you to my house and I prepare a huge meal for you and I set the stage and I prepare the table and I invite you in and sit you at the table, don't you dare come into my house with some chip on your shoulder as if you made a big sacrifice to come and sit and eat at the meal that I paid for. I was, my wife and I were eating at somebody at this couple's house. I'm not going to say who they are, but we were eating at this couple's house, and, and uh, we sat at the table, and the wife had prepared this lavish meal. It was splendid. It was marvelous. And we all sat down, and she brought the food out, and her husband, he's just in seventh heaven, and he looks at his wife. He says, baby, you're so lucky. And she said, why is that? She, he says, because you've got a husband who just loves everything you cook. And she says, yes, I'm very lucky, so lucky to be able to slave in the kitchen day and night. <laughs> I'm the lucky one, right? <laughs> you know? She said, no, excuse me, sir. You're the one who's lucky. You got a wife who slaves in the kitchen, works just as much as you do, but will slave in the kitchen to prepare lavish meals for you every night. You're the one who's lucky, buddy. <laughs> Woo! <laughs> wow. I tell you what, you know, yeah. And Joseph Olberg said, you know, baby, you're right. <laughs> Did I say the name? Oh, snap. <laughs> Just kidding. It's not a sacrifice till it costs you something. It's not a sacrifice if it's a benefit for you on the other side. If you gave a man $35,000, it's not a sacrifice if he gives you the keys to a new car. Did you get that? If you give a man a check for $500,000, it's not a sacrifice if he gives you the keys to a new home. It's not a sacrifice till it costs you everything and gains you nothing. Hmm, that is good. I'm going to take an offering for that one. And that's the hard thing about the place of sacrifice because we just, for some reason, we think our sacrifices are magical. Yeah. I'm supposed to make one sacrifice and everything changes in my life immediately. Yeah. I gave a tithe, I go home and I'm ready for the money to come, Lord. Because <laughs> I tithed once. <laughs> and then nothing changed. I, I knew this didn't work. Well, if, you, if it's supposed to work, then it ain't a sacrifice. Abram cuts the heifer and nothing happens. Cuts the ram, nothing happens. Cuts the goat, nothing happens. Lays out the pigeon and the dove, nothing happens. I got all my sacrifices here, God. You, you said you're going to do something. Woo, you're going to do something mighty. The sacrifices are ready. Come on, God. Bring it on me. I'm ready. Nothing happened. Abram's standing there. He's coming any minute. He'll be coming around the mountain when he comes. 
You know, when you've sacrificed all that you can sacrifice, that's a lonely place. Because for a time, it's just you and your sacrifice. Nothing's happening. No breakthrough, no promise, no blessing, no power, no fire from heaven, no Holy Ghost zapped. I'm still broke. Finances haven't changed. It's just me and all this blood and guts. God, when are you going to do it? Hello, God. Got the sacrifice that you said. Bring me a heifer, a goat, a ram, a dove, and a pigeon. It's all here, God. I'm ready. Let's do this. You told me to tithe, pray, study my Bible, serve the ministry, go to church, give, evangelize. I'm doing all of that, God. Come on, bring it on me. Change my family. Heal my finances. Whatever it is I need, I'm ready for you to do it, God. You told me. You told me if I just prayed, studied my Bible, tithed, served, evangelized, I'm doing it all. I'm doing everything. You, I know what you need. You need another heifer. You need another sacrifice, don't you? Abraham said, I'll be right back, Lord. I'm going to give you another sacrifice. Whenever you get to that place where nothing's happening, don't you feel like, I just haven't given enough. I know what the Lord, he wants more sacrifice from me. He wants more. He wants me to give more. What I need to do is go kill some more stuff. I got more stuff at home that I can give. What else does the Lord want? Ah, he didn't. Lord, you, sh you should ask for a cow. I got cows too, Lord. You want a cow? I'll be right back. And Abram turns to go get a cow. And just then, it says birds of prey started to swoop down on the sacrifice that he had laid before the Lord. Buzzards. Vultures. Have you ever seen a buzzard? Those are demon-possessed looking birds. Those birds got demons. Buzzards and vultures should all be lined up and shot. You know, we were in Ethiopia, and outside of our window, every morning there was this flock of wild boars. You know what boars are, right? Those demon-possessed pigs. Pigs on drugs. Yeah, steroid and speed. <laughs> right? And they sound, you know? Right? So I hear this sound. It sounds like a whole flock of wild boars. I said, dang, I'm not going in the back. Because, man, these boars, man, they're going to, you know, boars are dangerous. Boars will kill you. And I was telling a local, I said, man, those wild boars that gather outside the window, that's dangerous. He says, boars, what are you talking about? There's no boars in this town. I said, you know, wild pigs, demon possessed pigs, drug. You know, drug addict pigs. You know what I'm talking about? He says, there's no pigs here. I said, well, then what is that sound? He said, those are the buzzards. There's a flock of buzzards that gather in those trees. I said, those trees need to be bombed. <laughs> Just as Abram turns to go get another sacrifice, he looks, and here come the buzzards and the vultures. And you know what they're trying to do? Eat the sacrifice. As soon as you lay a sacrifice out before the Lord, birds of prey start swooping down on it to try to eat it up. You say, oh, Lord, I'm going to pray this amount of time every day, and as soon as you get on your knees. You know the devil knows your schedule better than you do? 
He doesn't forget. You might forget a few things on your to-do list, but the devil will not forget. He's waiting for you to get on your knees, and as soon as you get on your knees, he comes and says, remember, you didn't do the third thing on your list, blah, 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 you should do this now. Oh, yeah, that's right, i got to do this. And you go do it, and then you come back and get on your knees, and the devil's, and remember, you should have done this. Oh, yeah, that's right, i got to do this. And then you go back, you remember, you should have done this. Oh, yeah, that's right. You remember, you offended this person. You better call him right now. Oh, that's right. You, remember, you told your wife you were going to do this. You better Oh, that's right. And pretty soon, oh, pretty soon the buzzards have swept down and ate your sacrifice. And before you look, there's no sacrifice left. There goes the heifer. As soon as you say, I'm going to give this amount of money to the Lord, your car's going to break down. It's going to need new tires. The rent's going to be due. The light bill, too. And money is going to be funny. And change is going to be strange. Abram saw the buzzards, and he says, oh, hold on a second. He grabbed his bat. He says, you ain't taking my sacrifice. Get off my sac." You know, you've got to beat back the buzzards to keep them off your sacrifice. Beating the, you ain't taking my sacrifice. You ain't taking, you know, God doesn't need more sacrifice from you. Just stand and defend the sacrifice you've already made. And he beat back the buzzards all day long for hours. God, any time now, you know, somewhere in the midst of that, you start thinking, what am I doing all this for? Nothing is still changing in my life. God's not here. He hasn't come. I'm just beating buzzards and standing over this. I mean, his hands are still covered in the blood of these sacrifices. They're starting to stink now. This is, and he's probably looking down. He's hungry. He can't even stop to eat. He's probably looking down thinking, this is a waste of meat. I could have fed the whole neighborhood with us oh, a heifer. We could have had us some barbecue heifer, barbecue goat, barbecue ram. And doves and pigeons taste like chicken. I never tasted dove, but I tell you what, pigeon does taste like chicken. We had a ghetto pigeon one time. I'll tell you that story another time. <laughs> you never had ghetto pigeon? We had a guy in our church when I was younger, and he was, a, he was an ex-Green Beret. And we were going camping. This dude, this dude was crazy, man. He built a half-dome stove out of big pieces of rock. He found these big pieces of rock, and he built this stove. And then we were... We were on Coolidge Avenue and Logan Street in East Oakland. And there were these pigeons up on a wire. He came out with a slingshot, took down a pigeon, grabbed it, and yanked its head off. Feathered it, cut it up, cleaned it, and put it in the cooler. Said, we're going to eat that. And that night, he put that pigeon on a rotisserie. He was teaching us survival skills. Man, that guy was scary. He, kept, he slept with two machetes on, on one on either side of him. I was scared to death he was going to cut my head off. He almost did one night. I woke up. He was standing over me with a machete like this. And I screamed. He said, Ben, you big dummy, you scared off my raccoon. I was going to cook that one too. There was a raccoon that had run into the camp. <laughs> I was never so thankful to see somebody backslide, I tell you what. <laughs> no, I thought I get to live. 
<laughs> I shouldn't have said that. That was just wrong. Lord, forgive me. Save him just in another place. <laughs> anyway, what was I talking about? You got to beat back the buzzards. The devil's coming to rob you of your sacrifice. He's coming to swoop down and eat up your sacrifice. Whatever you have laid out before the Lord, do you think the devil's just going to stand there and watch you lay out the pieces of your sacrifice before the Lord, knowing that God's coming to walk through those pieces and make covenant with you and usher you into the promise and usher you into the place that He... Do you think the devil's going to stand by and watch it? He's going to swoop down and try to eat the pieces of your sacrifice. But you've got to believe and you've got to keep beating back the buzzards and just believe that I know I don't feel nothing right now. There's no goosebumply bubblies. I'm not at that place where I open the Bible and there's a prophetic word jumping off the page grabbing me by the face. I go to church and the pastor's prophesying over everybody but me. And the person to the right of me is crying. The person to the left of me is crying. I don't feel nothing. <laughs> I was talking to somebody recently and, um, um, you know, when I, when I first met him, he was really not, he was really kind of, uh, kind of shallow in his spirituality. I mean, he wasn't really deep in it. I mean, he didn't, he kind of barely knew the Lord, you know, type of thing. And uh, and uh, and then Oscar, I'm, I'm sorry, no, not Oscar. <laughs> no, not, but this but this person, uh, he just kind of barely knew the Lord. And then all of a sudden I saw him go through this transformation where he's in church lifting up his hands, singing with all his might, coming to the altar, even crying. And, and you know, and I met with him just recently. I said, you know, looks like there's been a major transformation in your life. And he said, well, not really. I said, no, 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 I mean, I've watched you before. You didn't know how to connect with the Lord at all. Now you're lifting your hands, and you're crying, and you're coming to the altar, and you're singing. He said, well, fake it till you make it. <laughs> you know what he meant? You know what he meant? He said, I'm going to do this till I feel something. I don't care if I don't feel it. I'm going to lift my hands anyway. I don't care if the Holy Ghost didn't come down and overtake my body. I'm going to sing loud anyway. I'm going to be the loudest singer on my row because if I keep doing this, I'm going to feel something after a while. Too many believers are waiting to feel something before they do something. Do something and then you'll feel something. When the Holy Spirit comes down in fire, then I'll start praying. It's like going to your bank and saying, give me some interest and then I'll make a deposit. Give me some equity, and then I'll buy a house. Going to the gym and saying, as soon as I lose some weight, I'm going to join this gym. <laughs> Calling your doctor, as soon as I get better, I'm going to come see you. Are you hearing me? Is anybody awake? Is this revelation? Is God hitting you? Are you getting this? All right. So Abraham, he beat back the buzzards until nightfall. I mean, the sun's going down. You know, you get to a certain place in the midst of that, and you, you start to think, I can only beat back these buzzards for so long. I don't know how much longer I can do this. Every person who serves the Lord in any capacity, you come to a place in your service of the Lord where you say, I don't know how much longer I can do this. I'm coming to the end of my rope. I'm coming to the end of my resources. I don't know how much longer I can hang on. I don't know how much longer I can do this. Abraham's thinking, my strength is waning. I've been beating back these buzzards for hours, but any minute I'm going to collapse. 
the muscles in my body are going to give way and the buzzards are going to eat my sacrifice. Lord, if you don't do something, if you don't show up soon, it's all over. And Abram, I'm sure, started to come to a place where he thought, you know what, it's over. There's too many of these buzzards, and the buzzards are multiplying. There's more. <laughs> when you're in that season of sacrifice, there seems to be no end to the buzzards. They're calling their friends. And all of a sudden, the Lord comes down. The first thing he does is he puts Abram to sleep. Okay, Abram, you're done. You're done with your part. You're out. At the place where you can't defend your sacrifice anymore, God will defend it. Now I'm here. I dare a buzzard to try to touch your sacrifice. You've done your part, Abram. But wait a minute, God, we haven't made covenant yet. Because in the ancient world, the way you made covenant was you took the pieces of a sacrifice and you laid them opposite one another and then the two people would take hands and they would pronounce the terms of the covenant and then they would walk through the pieces together. This is my part and this is your part. We're making covenant. And it was a self-maledictory act. To walk through the pieces of those cut animals was as if to say, may it be to me as it was to these animals if I break this covenant. If I don't live up to the terms of this covenant, may it be to me as it was to these animals. Cut me in half. If I don't fulfill my vow. So God, you and I haven't walked through the pieces yet. We're not in covenant until you and I take hands and walk through the pieces. And God says, Abram, I know I told you to walk before me and be blameless. I know I told you you were going to walk with me. But on this walk, you can't walk with me. Because if you and I walk through these pieces together, I'm going to have to cut you in half as soon as we get to the other side. You know what God was saying? Abram, the fulfillment of my promise over your life ultimately doesn't depend on you. Actually, all you can do is lay out some pieces and beat off some buzzards. But make no mistake, laying out the pieces of your sacrifice and beating back the buzzards does not fulfill my purpose over your life. It's not enough. All you got is blood and guts and stank. The only thing that fulfills the promise over your life is when I come down and take over. So go to sleep, Abram. Go to sleep. Abraham falls out, slain in the spirit, starts snoring. And it says a, a smoking pot and a blazing torch came down. And God passed through the pieces, making promises to Abraham as he, as he passed through. Abram, this is stuff I'm going to do by myself. You're not going to do it. You're not going to help. This is not a shake-and-bake gospel where we made shake-and-bake and I helped. you got to be a certain age to get that joke. <laughs> this isn't a you and me in partnership. It's all me and none of you. Until you get to the place where God moves you beyond your own effort. And you know what? You know what the season of sacrifice and beating back the buzzards is designed to do? It's designed to wear you out. You know when somebody's drowning? A good lifeguard is not going to jump in and save them immediately. 
A good lifeguard's going to let them struggle and flounder until they lose strength and give up. And at the moment when they give up on their life, that's when the lifeguard saves it. Why? Because if the lifeguard jumps in too early, that person is going to keep kicking and they're going to take the lifeguard down with them. God said, Abraham, I've just been waiting for you to come to the end of your strength. Because it's when you come to the end of your rope that you come to the beginning of mine. Are you done? Good, now lay down and let me do this for you. And Abram wakes up and goes, what happened? God says, we're in covenant now. How did that happen? It didn't have anything to do with you. You slept through it. But I slept through the best part. It's already been done. You know, I remember when I was 16 years old and I got my wisdom teeth removed. I go into this, this, this place and they put me in the chair and they put a brace on my arm. They put a needle in my arm. They said, this is going to make you go to sleep. And I said, okay. They said, why don't you count to 10? Now I'm thinking it's got to take at least two, three minutes to take effect. I said, how about this? How about I just not count to 10? How about I just go to sleep now? And I said, okay, it's still not working. They said, no, 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 you've been out for two hours. <laughs> it's all done. I said, yeah, right, you're messing with me. They said, no, 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 no. You've been out for two hours. I said, you're tripping. They said, okay, try to move your body. I went, okay, I'm getting up now. They said, yeah, why don't you get up right now? I said, okay, that sounds good. I'm about to get up right now. They said, good idea. Why don't you go ahead and get up right now? I said, all right, I'm about to get up right now. I said, how come my body don't work? I told you, you've been out for two hours. The medicine hasn't worn off on you. There's some things that God has to put you under that you can't do by yourself. Only God can do for you. But in order to get to that place, you've got to simply stand in the place of sacrifice and beat back the buzzards. Because had Abram just simply gave, given up, you know what, I'm tired of this. And let the buzzards eat his sacrifice, there'd be no pieces for God to walk between. God is coming to make covenant with you, but he can only do so by walking through the pieces of your sacrifice. My question for you this morning is, where's your sacrifice? Are you defending it? Are you letting the buzzards eat it? 